I think, you know, cycle charting is just so elegant and it's, it's free. It's like you're, you're observing your own body and we're so caught up in this tech world and it's great for so many things, but we're losing connection with our own body. Hello and welcome to ND Inspo, where our mission is to connect, grow, and inspire naturopathic doctors and students from all over. My name is Dr. Kirsten DeWitt, and today I have with me Nora Pope and Dr. Jessica Liu, founders of Fertility Continuing Education, an organization that creates continuing education in the field of fertility awareness, restorative fertility treatment, and perinatal care for healthcare professionals. And so let me just give a little bit of background here because they have so much. So Dr. Uh, retired naturopathic Dr. Nora Pope is an educator, public speaker, and like I said, retired naturopathic doctor on a mission to help advocate for body literacy. She has an extensive background in fertility care and is the creator of Cycle Charting, the key to fertility CE seminars. She also has a creatine model fertility care practitioner training and additional training from the Creatine University School of Medicine. She has served for over 10 years on the continuing education committee at the former Ontario Naturopathic Regulatory College and continues to create so many CE courses for us all and continues on her advocacy journey. Dr. Jessica Liu is a naturopathic doctor, licensed naturopathic doctor, owner and director of a successful integrative fertility practice <laughs> with over 15 years of clinical expertise in the field of fertility, women's health, and pregnancy care. Her passion for fertility and perinatal care stemmed from her own healing of her own hormonal fertility challenges with naturopathic medicine. Her program, Creating Vibrant Fertility, has a particular focus in supporting women through their fertility trauma in order to awaken their optimal fertility potential. And so I am just so excited to have <laughs> them both with us today because I went through their, their fertility continuing education course. And let me tell you, it is jam-packed with information. So I am just excited to kind of share with you all some of the stuff that I I learned and, and, you know, to hopefully kind of go through some of these key, key topics. So thank you both so much for being with us today. Thank you, Dr. DeWitt. So excited to have be on your podcast and thank you for taking our course. So exciting. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Kirsten. You're, that was a lovely intro. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We wrote it. We wrote it ourselves. That's why it's good. Okay. <laughs> well, you wrote your own stories. That's what you did, right? You did all of that work. Um, and so, so I, I love just getting a little bit of background um, just to kind of know, because, you know, as naturopathic doctors, it's a unique field. Um, so we all kind of have our own stories. So I'm just curious, you know, if, if both of you could share, like what brought you to naturopathic medicine in the first place? Um, so yeah, I'll start. Yeah. This is sort of funny. My parents, may they rest in peace, were very conservative, very traditional, but quite bohemian in their thinking. <laughs> so both of my parents were born at home and uh, wow. in Belgium uh, in the 1920s. 
And they, they basically, they've always had a very pragmatic approach about me medicine and health. And then they, um, they got married in the 50s, moved to Canada, and then started having children. My parent, my dad was not allowed in the delivery room for his first, you know, first two children. And he was devastated. And mm -hmm. here he is, he's like a Wall Street banker or a Bay Street banker in Toronto. Three, you know, pinstripe soup suit and he's devastated he can't be at the birth of his children and then my mother fought with the doctor because they had put her out with anesthetic for the first two pregnancies that was the the, the 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 practice and for the third she said don't you dare do that or i'll kill you, <laughs> you <know>? and and, <laughs> and, that, and you know and my dad was still not allowed in the delivery room anyway i was the fifth child then they had more children in the 60s and then i was born at three in the morning and the doctor was so nice. He says, Joe, come see the birth of your, your, your child. And he saw me be born oh. and then not, and then not my baby brothers. So I grew up with sort of very forward thinking parents who really instilled in me independent thinking and not to, not to, to gently question authority when they're being rigid and bureaucratic. And so with naturopathic medicine, you have to be a detective. You have to get behind the symptoms because we live in a world where people want a quick fix and just want to suppress symptoms. And we're curious. And then more and more patients are curious. Why aren't I getting better? And I think that's what attracted me to naturopathic medicine. So that's part of my story. Mm. Dr. Jessica. So my story is, you know, I, I remember saying to my parents when I was five, I want to be a doctor. And they sort of, you know, your Asian parents, oh, you're going to be a doctor. Okay, that's good. <laughs> um, but, but I grew up, um, you know, having terrible, terrible hormonal symptoms, everything that you could think of, whether it was severe, debilitating menstrual pain, uh, irregular cycles, you know, I felt like, you know, flood every time I would have a period and it would, it would very disruptive in my life and also acne that was cystic and also very debilitating on a mental emotional level mm -hmm. where every manner of conventional treatment, whether it was antibiotics or Accutane or birth control pill, the same answer I would get from every doctor was, huh, that's weird. That should have worked for you, but you're like the 1.1% of patients that this isn't working. And so at the same time, I was interested in looking at a body, mind, spirit approach to health. I was uh, minoring in psychology and anthropology in school. My father, who was an engineer, became a Chinese medicine doctor. And I think that was the key for me to start looking outside and looking elsewhere. So as a student of naturopathic school, that's where I started to look at herbs and cycle awareness and treating the root and treating my gut and treating my stress levels. And it all sort of came together there. And so I think, you know, if it wasn't for my own experience, I don't know if I would be specializing in hormones and fertility, but here I am because it worked for me and I want to help inspire others to know that, you, you know, you can empower your own health journey if you start asking questions. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I love that you mentioned the detective work, right, Nora, because that I feel like that's so much of what we do as naturopathic doctors is, you know, we're really good detectives and asking those questions that they may not have ever asked themselves mm -hmm. before or been asked by a practitioner or healthcare provider before. And I think even just that investigative style that we have, you know, that in itself can lead to so much healing. Mm -hmm. um, and so how about for you, Nora, you mentioned how you got to, to naturopathic medicine. How about the fertility piece? Well, I've always been interested in um, reproductive health and uh, my, my parents had seven children and, um, 
you know, I, it's, I come from a big family and, you know, when I was growing up, there was this stress about overpopulation, which I kind of want to challenge. Cause again, I'm a detective. I like to challenge sort of the, the status quo, but I've always been interested. Okay. What's, how do you naturally regulate fertility? Because I thought the options for men and women weren't that great. You had um, condoms, diaphragms, the pill or vasectomies or tubal ligations. And I thought it's gotta be Oh, that's kind of gross. And um, I got I got introduced to these um, feminist women who were um, working at the Marguerite Bourgeois Fertility Care Center in Toronto. Her name was Lorraine, Lorraine Williams. She was a social worker. And she asked me to join the board and get involved. I, never, I didn't even know what cycle charting was. And so I learned this in the 90s. And I thought, this is amazing information. It should be taught in grade six and in a class called human reproduction. And it's all about white flow. Um, you know, and I, you know, when I was learning it, it's like, ooh, cervical mucus, ooh, and so yuck, 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 yuck. And over the years, <laughs> over the years, I've been pondering how do we make this more media friendly? And we, and so our company has come up with the term called white flow and our, our t-shirt says white flow makes babies. Yes. And that's sort of our brand. <laughs> and we, and because men make white flow, women make white flow, and we're all conceived in the tube, in the fallopian tube bathed in white flow. And so it's a really important aspect. We want to get that message out to the world. Anyway, so I was involved with this cycle charting organization in Toronto. I thought this is so cool. And then I start naturopathic medicine um, at the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in the 90s. And I was the only woman in the class who knew when she was fertile, when she was not fertile. Mm -hmm. I was the only one cycle charting. This would have been 1998. And so fast forward now, 2021, and there's a, an explosion in interest. Yes. And we want to get the word out because we feel that by learning about your white flow, you can cure infertility. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the fire in the belly. And, you know, we want to get it in Wikipedia, cervical fluid, and we want the textbooks to change. So they include the cervical crypts and the cervix, which are not there. So we, so we have our work. We have our <laughs> work. Her beef. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we got it. We want to change the culture. And I love teaching naturopathic doctors and because they're smart. And they're fun. And now more and more healthcare professionals are taking their, our course, like medical doctors, pharmacists, osteopaths, physiotherapists, dietitians. We appeal to any healthcare professional that wants to cure infertility. That's our, that's and our, it's, our and beef. it's a restorative approach that involves uh, empowering your patient at the highest level, right? So when, you know, your patient is going through fertility treatments and, and they're on potentially medication that is suppressing their own hormonal output, you know, that the, they lose that, that connection with their own bodies. And so fertility literacy, as you know, equals body literacy. And we want young women in their teens understanding their bodies more, right? So that we're treating them ahead of the game and we're not waiting until things set into pathology to, to have to, to react to. We want to be proactive. You know, now that in, in Canada, at least infertility affects one in five or one in six couples. And, you know, this, this idea of unexplained infertility, which I'm sure you see at your doorstep all the time is just not good enough. Mm -hmm. Right. And so through our naturopathic lens, we know that healthy physiology can help to allow natural fertility to flourish or optimal fertility to flourish. And that is, is where we want cycle charting to be front and center in the, in, in the restorative approach to fertility. So that's, that's why we're so passionate about this and spreading the word. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, you can, you can feel the passion um, in the 
course as well. And I loved the, the white flow t-shirt. <laughs> <I, Angela. laughs> yes. Um, yes. So it's so great what you both are doing, um, both for healthcare professionals, but also just for the public at large. Um, because like you said, there's just, it's just so important for women to be empowered in their body and not to kind of look at their cycle as something that they need to suppress or get rid of, or, you know, we can really use it as, um, as a superpower. Um, (laughs) Yes. I love that. (laughs) Yes. That's that's our next t-shirt. White flow is a superpower. There we go. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think it's so true, especially when you think about just the, our hormone fluctuations and how, you know, there's just, I feel like there's more and more research, even with exercise, which I wanted to ask you to, um, you know, later on here after we get some of this stuff going, but um, there's just more and more research coming out about how, how they can, uh, how our hormone fluctuations can positively impact us too. I think often we just think about the negative parts of it, but there are some benefits to it too. So, um, so yeah, since you're, t- you know, since we're talking about the cycle charting, first I just want to um, kind of get the background on what is cycle charting, and then how is that different from the apps, right? Because I think that there is a big distinction between um, just simply, you know, uh, charting when your period is, which is what most of the apps are, and I feel like that's most of what we ask people is just like when your period is. Um, but really when just learning about the cycle charting, there's a lot more to it. And, and I know that this is more particular for fertility, but I think just in general, knowing your body, especially if you're um, postponing pregnancy or yeah. So, so if you could just give a little bit um, maybe of the distinction between the two, and then we can kind of dive into more of what the cycle charting is. So cycle charting is making wiping observations throughout the day and recording at the end of the day, a real time conclusion of what the day presented to you. So is it dry? Is it dry all day? Then that's what the wiping observed. Then you record that as a dry day and that's a day of infertility um, in the cycle charting world. And then when you, then you're wiping every day and then, ah, follicle is growing, estrogen is rising, the blood and the estrogen is turning on the cervical crypts and the cervix and producing that fertile sperm-friendly cervical fluid, which changes the woman's body from an acidic environment to a sperm-friendly, alkaline, sweet, nutritious environment full of sugar and potassium and zinc. And if, if a couple has sex on that day, um, sperm can stay alive in the woman's body for up to five days. And anyway, so wiping, 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 end of the day, you chart, okay, the, it was either clear, stretchy, or lubricative, you chart that once, and then, bing, little middle of the month pain. Do you have that twinge of pain in the lower left quadrant or the lower right quadrant? That's probably the fall corrupturing and creating a little bit of visceral pain, visceral, the viscera being irritated because it's, you know, full of nerves, and you've ovulated. And if there's sperm in your body, whether you're having sex currently or if it's there from the day before, you will conceive in the fallopian tube bathed in white flow, the man's white flow, the woman's white flow from the cervix. And then the the fertilized ova will travel down the fallopian tube and implant in the lining of the uterus, uh, which takes about, I'd say, five to six days. And that's how you get pregnant using the system by using days of fertility to get pregnant. The system can also be used to postpone pregnancy by only having sex on the dry days. Because on a dry day, the woman's body is 
acidic and sperm will die in minutes. And then the period comes and you start charting again. So these are real time observations that you can put that on your laptop on an Excel spreadsheet or on a paper chart, like a dinosaur like me. Mm -hmm. And then as for the apps, I, I like Jessica, we, we have an opinion about apps, but then Je Dr. Jessica here has a great solution. So I'll take it away. <laughs> well, yeah, I think, I think the apps, I, you know, to, to be fair, I think, I think they're, they're making a great effort and improving the accuracy of the apps, mm -hmm. you know, but, but the problem is, is what would you do if you have a irregular cycle that is not pathological, but is fairly common, right? Only 13% of women ovulate perfectly on day 14. And if you don't ovulate on day 14, that, that's where the apps can sometimes throw you off, right? Because you're, they're basing that information on your history or your at least your previous month, right? If you're just starting out with an app. And so your app is going to track your period days. And based on that and all the data from before, it's going to predict when your next period will come and sort of give you a window, your fertile window. And some apps pair that with an LH test that you can, you can do as well. Here's the thing, you know, what if you are having a bad month, you know, you're, you're not sleeping well, or, you know, maybe you were pulling some all-nighters, finishing a project, and um, maybe you had a big stress at work, and your pre-ovulatory cycle, you know, starts early or starts too late, you're going to miss that window if you're not paying attention to your body in real time. It doesn't mean it's pathological, but if you're not checking in with your fluids, during your mid-cycle days, you're, you're gonna miss the nuance of whether you're a little bit more fertile on one day or a little bit less fertile. It's not necessarily binary. It's a, it's a collection of data that you're, you're taking in day in and day out, right? So, you know, what cycle charting um, offers, which we love and Nora speaks very well to, is that your days of infertility are just as valuable as your days of fertility. And it takes the pressure off the couple, right? Um, and so, you know, the, do I love apps? No, I think if, if you have a, a patient who's never tracked at all, period, then sometimes an app is just an easy way to, to get her connecting period at all, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we just want to start making those daily observations and, and put your notes in somewhere. So, you know, I use a very simple app where it gives the, the, the patient the flexibility to write in her own notes. And so, so she is relying more on that than say what the app is telling her. But, but we really do ask the patients to take a step back. We give them a spreadsheet and we give them, you know, the codes that they have to put in the different stickers into the Excel spreadsheet. And I say, I know it, sound, it looks really clunky, but this is, this is your roadmap to be able to time blood tests, to be able to, for us to time treatment and for me to be able to see patterns emerging and you're going to see those patterns emerge within a, within about three months. Three cycles worth of charting gives you really good data when it's laid out that way. And we're looking for those healthy biomarkers. And Nora can talk about what those are. We like to call call it the rule of five. Da -dum, da -dum, da -dum. Okay, very, <laughs> very important. Um, so, and, and I guess the, the, the rule of five is to help users feel less spooked out about, you know, learning about their cycle and what are they looking for? So you don't need a 28 day cycle to know when you're fertile, when you're not, you know, variability is healthy and normal, mm -hmm. but these are some of the biomarkers you want to look for five days of red flow, five days of a period is a good, healthy sign that the previous cycle had a good level of hormones. And then five days of white flow is a healthy sign that the follicle is growing and producing enough estrogen. 
And then after you've ovulated and that white flow ends, you want five days times two or three after that. So that's a range of 10 to 15 days um, to show that you have enough progesterone being cranked out by that shrunken follicle shell, the corpus luteum, and that can maintain a pregnancy uh, if you do get pregnant. So five days red flow, five days white flow, five days times two or three post-peak or post-peak you know, post estrogen. Those are your healthy biomarkers. And then as Jessica was saying, is that as you're charting, they emerge. You go, oh yeah, when this cycle, look at that. I had four days of red flow, but five days of white flow. Okay, another four. Okay, my range seems to be four and a half days of red flow. Okay, that's, that's good. Oh, wait, look at that. This cycle, I had six days of white flow, five days of white flow, and another five days of white flow. So I'm just describing a little bit of variability we can still identify what's going on in your cycle. Mm -hmm. And that's very, you know, eye-opening and very exciting. And as Dr. Jessica said, empowering. And then it becomes a roadmap. You start timing your blood tests when that white flow ends plus seven days. That's called your mid-luteal. Or you want to start doing an ultrasound series, a vaginal ultrasound series during your white flow, because that's when the follicle is growing. So you're timing it anything in sync with the individual woman's cycle because right now ultrasound on day nine well what if your white flow hasn't started yet or what if your white flow started on day six it, you're going to be off or mid to day 21 for blood tests well what if you ovulated on day 10 or 20 it won't be mid luteal you want seven days after your peak estrogen and that's what we teach to our students the healthcare professionals who take her course. And in turn, they can educate their clients on how to advocate for themselves and really get the most accurate testing uh, when they're doing a workup. I love that. And so I'm wondering if you can kind of um, distinguish a little bit. So first, what is, you know, what are women looking for um, or, you know, menstruating individuals, what are they looking for when they're wiping, um, you know, what would a peak, the peak estrogen day look mm -hmm. like basically? Or sure. So here, earlier, earlier, Dr. Jessica was saying that days of infertility are just as valuable. They're valuable because they give you context. So let's start on cycle day one. You have your period. So you're going to be wet. You're going to be wet. And so just learn that experience. You wipe, your eyes are closed. You observe, you're seeing that you're bleeding. You're wet. It's a, that's a wet wipe. Okay. But you're just charting as, as your period. Then as the period is dwindling, you're going to have maybe a light or very light day of spotting or, or bleed. What's the sensation? Typically it's dry, you know? Okay, after that, your period is over. And when you're wiping, let's say you're just wiping urine. I'm sorry we have to be so graphic, but urine is acidic. So when you're wiping, it's almost, almost draggy. So even though it's a fluid and it's wet, it's different than a period. So you're learning about different experiences. Okay, so then you can you know, confidently chart at the end of the day, that's a dry day, it's just urine. And then, you know, you get used to that one day, two days, three days of dry days, learn that experience. It's kind of draggy. There's a little bit of resistance. And then all of a sudden your blood estrogen starts to rise with that growing follicle prior to ovulation and your cervix is discharging white flow. It's different. It's full of sugar and it has micelles and it's very slippery and it has um, glycoproteins, sugar proteins. And when you wipe, oops, less drag, less resistance, and that's what you're looking for. You're looking for that change. You observe the tissue. What do you see? Okay, you see some discharge. Can you pick it up with your finger? Okay, it stretches. It stretches a quarter of an inch, the next day half an inch, the next day a full inch. That means there's more sugar, 
and it's more sperm friendly. It'll keep sperm alive the more stretch there is. And then boom, the next day it's quite dry. You have that draggy sensation again. So your peak estrogen day is that is a retrospective observation. And you chart that on your court on your chart P and then one, two, three. And that's still a day of fertility because the cervix is open and uh, sperm can travel inside the woman's body. And then boom, you have the dry days, which is in sync with rising estrogen. And then the next period starts. And so you're, you're looking for change in sensation, change in color, change in stretch, change in experience. So you want to, we want to teach our, our students how to experience the wiping, see the wiping, touch the wiping, see the discharge. And you're getting this 3D experience and then you really learn about your fertility. And so, yeah, so just to clarify that, you know, when estrogen is rising, it, it's going to stimulate the cervical crypts all the way up the cervix, right? So the whole inside of your cervix is being well lubricated and that gravity is pulling that down. And that's your experience when you're wiping on perineal body, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and women will notice that the most distinctive characteristic is going to be that slipperiness quality of it, right? Versus progesterone type mucus, which is more like forming a seal, like a plug at the end of your cervix, because that's where all those receptors are located. And that looks more like, I kind of describe it as like Elmer school glue consistency or maybe pan, you know, runny pancake batter, right? It's a little bit different. It's tackier. It's, it doesn't have that slipperiness to it. Mm -hmm. And so as women start to feel comfortable tracking, they start, oh yeah, I do notice, you know, one day, two days, the slipperiness, and then they're tuning into that. And so the dry days, again, as Nora is saying, gives you that context, right? Okay. And then you also, I also remember you mentioning um, during the course, you know, there is a difference between the cervical fluid and then more of like a lubricative type of fluid. Can you kind of um, distinguish those two? Sure. So the, the cervical fluid will have a very slippery wiping sensation. Now, arousal fluid, which mm -hmm. is produced outside, you know, surrounding the vagina uh, in the Bartholin glands, will have a similar experience, but um, you can still consider that a dry day because you were sexually aroused that day and it's not from the cervix. And we learn, you learn about these differentiations when you, you should be working with a fertility care professional or a charting professional. And if you Google Justice, or if you do Google Fertility Care Centers of America, they will teach you how to cycle chart. But um, in terms, but there's actually, there is confounding. I mean, cervical fluid and seminal fluid are very similar. Mm -hmm. So if you're having intercourse, you wanna do the seminal fluid instruction afterwards. And if you wanna do kegels and squeeze out the excess seminal fluid, and it's not contraceptive because if you're fertile that day, it travels in seconds, right? And so it's very dynamic. And if you're not fertile that day, it'll die in minutes. So it's not contraceptive, but you want to really learn about what your body is doing. And so definitely arousal fluid and cervical fluid are similar, but once from the cervix and once from the Bartholin glands. So it just, it's, that's why it takes three months. I, I was slow. It took me six months to really learn about my, my, my cycle, but in three months, you can learn it very, very well. Mm -hmm. And, and then the, the last thing that I think, you know, some, and maybe even for clinicians, but uh, the confusing component could be uh, various types of discharge, right? So can you just talk about some types of discharge that um, menstruating, you know, individuals may experience throughout their cycle that 
um, can help them and it, you know, it can help them just understand their bodies more, you know, and to know when they need to come in and, um, yeah, just to know. Yeah. So particularly important if you're, if you have a woman who has just conceived even that, you know, unusual discharge could be a sign of an infection, which of course increases her risk for premature labor. Right. So, um, the biggest keynote is that those types of discharges are non-lubricative. So it's going to feel wet, but it doesn't have the slipperiness to it. There might be an odor attached to it, or it might look clumpy or yellow. There might be just something different. And it's it's because of the irritation potentially of the vaginal canal that the epithelial cells are sloughing. And so you're getting this leucorrhea, so to speak, that's from the vaginal um, lining shedding essentially, and, and you know white blood cells and you know the tissue is irritated. So there may be some other keynotes or might be an odor or an ir- vaginal irritation associated with it, but sometimes you won't have that. And all you have is this sense of copious wetness, mm-hmm. but it's without the lubrication. It doesn't have the slipperiness to it. Am I saying mm-hmm. that yeah. correctly? Yeah. No, you want, you know, it's, it's, that's why charting, you want to be charting even when you're pregnant. Um, because if you do notice a new discharge, again, we're looking at changes. Mm-hmm. So you're dry, 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 because you're pregnant. And all of a sudden you're noticing more watery discharge um, without lubrication, please get a swab because you could have something as pedestrian as E. coli or group B strep or other anaerobic infections that can bring on premature contractions in some people. Mm -hmm. And so rather than give them more progesterone or an anti-contraction or anti-tocolytic therapy, you want to give them antibiotics Mm -hmm. and that can help maintain a full-term pregnancy. So yeah, discharge is a lot of information you can learn. Um, Absolutely. I think the other piece that was interesting was about the autoimmune conditions. Can you just speak a little bit really quickly? Yeah. So as Dr. Jessica was explaining that this is, you know, um, you know, we obviously we're going to see a lot of women with autoimmune conditions as naturopathic practitioners or doctors. And so rheumatoid arthritis, MS, lupus, um, a lot of these women struggle with fertility and that there's a duality there. A lot of the times they're low in progesterone, but um, with their autoimmune inflammatory um, mediators, they're compromising not only a progesterone function, but they're creating too much cell turnover. There's a hyper proliferation of cell division um, in, in, in endemic to many, many autoimmune conditions. And so it's not just inflamed joints or inflamed, you know, um, you know, brain tissue or nervous tissue, but also it could just be inflamed skin is something as common as psoriasis. And the lining mm-hmm. of the vagina can have a lot of cell turnover. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to see a lot of constant discharge in some people with autoimmune, and that can be confusing. But with charting, it, t- it might take a bit longer. You're really looking for that change. So you have, okay, discharge, 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 discharge. No, you're not fertile that day. You're having discharge. And then, oh, slippery. Okay. Ah, more clear. Okay. That's your fertility window. And it just takes, it takes maybe another month of learning. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but really empowering, right. And it can be, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, you know, when uh, someone is pregnant, it could be potentially uh, life-saving for that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Thank you so much. I feel like that was a, a wonderful crash course on <laughs> and all of the distinctions there. Um, because I know that it can be confusing, right? We have so many, so much going on down there. (laughs) We certainly do. Yes. And so can we, um, so let's talk a little bit about 
you mentioned uh, using it for being able to time tests better. Um, so can you can you speak a little bit more about that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, certainly, you know, even just women knowing that, you know, what is their cycle day three is, you know, fertility practitioners uh, are well aware that that's, that's when hormones are quiescent or, you know, at their kind of quiet range. And that's when we want to see, you know, for instance, if there's a pathology that that, that blood level might be different, or if we're looking for signs of uh, declining ovarian reserve, we're going to see some changes on cycle day three. Um, but some women don't know that, you know, that the, the premenstrual brown bleeding or spotting doesn't really count like that. That's something that as charting professionals, we're looking at, right? So a couple of hours of brown discharge, not a big deal, but if you have three or four days or more of uh, brown spotting before your period starts, that is also a sign that, you know, maybe your hormone levels weren't, weren't really in the right range in your previous cycle, or there was some irritation or inflammation in your lining causing that, that slow sloughing off of your, of your lining. And so knowing that, you know, first day of a good full menstrual flow is your cycle day one. We want to do a battery of tests on cycle day three, and then we want to do some more testing on peak estrogen day plus seven, right? So that true mid luteal range is really where we can get some accurate data on progesterone levels, optimal progesterone levels, making sure FSH and LH levels are, are in the normal range. We just recently discovered that certain um, ovarian cancers you can show can mm-hmm. you can show up with FSH LH ratios that are abnormal in your peak plus seven mm-hmm. reference ranges. Um, you know, you, you might have cycle day three labs very low testosterone, DHEA, androstenedione. That's also going to show up as potentially low ovarian reserve, or, or we could see somebody with osteoporosis risk with low hormones in that range, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so we can tell a lot, but you know, the timing of the site of the of the testing is really critical because then then you're not getting accurate data if you're not testing on the right time. Again, because most women don't ovulate on day 14, right? So we're trying to get away from that 28 day model. It's still in textbooks. It's still in Chinese medicine textbooks mm-hmm. as well. We want to get away from that. We want to honor each woman's individual cycle and show that you can have variability and that it can still be healthy and normal as long as those biomarkers are there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 28 is a big number in TCM. I remember being <laughs> and approaching my 28th birthday and I was just like, well, there it goes. I guess I can't have kids now, you know, already. <laughs> Um, yeah, so so but I'm glad that you all are advocating, you know, for that that variation, uh, the range that our cycle length can be as well. Because I think even as practitioners, um, that's not always um, clear, right? So, and then the other thing I wanted to ask was, what about something like Dutch testing or the urine testing? I know that you talk about it a little bit in the course, but. Um, you know, there's always like mixed, uh, definitely. Yeah. And, and I think, yeah, I think convention will say, you know, that there's limited, uh, testing on those different types of testing. And, I, but I think the literature is coming certainly, but the problem with blood testing is that the hormones are in such a tight range mm-hmm. that a lot of the variability, the nuance of what the tissues are experiencing, you're going to miss in blood testing, right? So you could have, I have, I have many sort of atypical PCOS patients where their, their 
insulin levels or glucose levels are perfect. Their estrogen levels, testosterone levels are perfect. And yet they have hirsutism, they have, you know, signs and symptoms, um, but they're just not fitting that typical picture. And this is where sometimes these nuanced tests like um, urine metabolite testing can show us where in their behind the scenes pathway, they're pushing, for instance, progesterone down that testosterone pathway, for instance, Mm -hmm. right? So so it can be helpful in in the unexplained infertility patients and patients who are on therapy and you want to figure out whether that therapy is working. Because if, for instance, if you're using bioidentical hormones, through transvaginal or topical creams, that's definitely not going to show up in blood, right? So blood is only going to pick up what you're taking orally. Um, so you're, you're missing a big piece of the pie in terms of monitoring and, and tracking your patients throughout the cycle. Um, but I, th- I still think it's good to get baseline blood work. You know, it's still good to get a baseline to see, you know, you know what, it, what are they doing that's showing up? Because then, you know, if there is pathology, you know, you're, you're not missing something glaring in blood work. And that's, it is, it is the most cost-effective way to test. So we still use blood work every day, but, you know, for some patients, sometimes we need to do a little bit of a deeper dive. Uh, for instance, if we're worried about their adrenals or their cortisol patterns affecting how their ovarian hormones are working, then we might use sal- saliva testing or urine metabolites for sure. Okay. And mm-hmm. then I also wanted to... Um, it looked like there were a couple of other, you know, great benefits to cycle charting, um, such as the the eco-friendly. <laughs> Can we talk a little bit about that? Oh yeah, baby. Okay. So I was, we were both involved with an association. It's called the Association of Perinatal Naturopathic Doctors. And um, we did a little mini trade show and um I was had a special interest in what I called eco-friendly birth control. So I did I did a lot of public lectures on this topic and it was during Naturopathic Medicine Awareness Week and so I was trying to help my association raise the profile of naturopathic medicine and one of the newspapers got interested. It was called the National Post and then I just went ahead and phoned the Toronto Star and the Globe and Mail and the Globe and Mail interviewed me. And no one would publish it. No one would say, I'm thinking, we got to talk about this. But the National Post did. And, and good for the National Post. They also interviewed someone from Water Treatment and Fisheries Canada. And I think a doctor. And everyone was poo-pooing it. But it's, it's very real. Um, we get alarmed when crocodiles and fish can't reproduce. And that when, you know, oh, my God, male crocodiles and male fish don't have any of their reproductive organs. Well, hello, shouldn't we be worried about human reproductive organs as well. <laughs> and so Denmark has done a lot of research on fertility. I love what Denmark has done. They've studied the pale for a long time. They're very interested in men's falling sperm counts in Denmark. They've been noticing a decline and they're very interested in the, the big de- depression side effects in the pill on the women. So they're very, very interested. And they're taking this from a, what I think a very excellent detached, you know, uh, empirical worldview and good for Denmark. So they, they have no agenda. They just want information. That's what they want. They don't tell people to get off the pill. You know, they're just telling people this, what it may cause depression. It may cause lower sperm counts. And so absolutely the water supply is tainted with not just metabolites in the pill, but metabolites of all kinds of drugs. 
And then we have manufacturing that are, you know, xenoestrogens and hormone disruptors. Mm -hmm. So we have to look at this globally. Absolutely. But the pill has been in the water supply now since 1961. That's a long time. Mm -hmm. So of course, women aren't going to ovulate as often. Of course, men's sperm counts are going down. We have to acknowledge this. Mm -hmm. And so in my own, in our own little way, if we can contribute to eco-friendly human reproduction, then that's, I think, another, you know, another of our, you know, call to actions. But mm -hmm. we can't ignore it. We just can't. So. Mm -hmm. And that's meaning using cycle charting um, instead of using um, the pill, the right. pill. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I mean, so um, there's more and more interest about getting off the pill. We've been invited to speak to two conferences in the last three weeks alone, just about getting off the pill. And uh, no, so there's a lot of interest um, in different, different modalities. So I'm very happy about that. Mm -hmm. You know, my, my sort of big mission goal is to, help educate healthcare providers who are using the pill as a first prescription for a, a woman in her adolescence dealing with menstrual pain or menstrual irregularity or acne. Because again, that suppressive effect on ovarian function of an exogenous, uh, you know, synthetic hormone receptor analog, right? It's not the same as our own hormones, has a huge impact on, um, you know, bone density, cardiovascular risk. You know, I had a woman, she, you know, I have a patient who's, you know, pretty young. She's in her late twenties and, you know, she almost died four years ago because she developed uh, a pulmonary embolism from being on the pill, mm. you know, and now she's struggling with fertility. So, you know, th there's a bigger piece here. It's not just about, you know, you know, regulating hormones in, in, in the moment, there, there is an after effect. And, and that was my story. I developed post-pill amenorrhea. And I, I think that's how some of my hormones went sideways because I was not a good candidate for the pill. And I was put on the pill, um, not at the right time or at all. Right. So, yeah. We'll have to do a whole other talk on just the pill alone. I think that there's, <laughs> I mean, there's so much that we could dive into, right, with fertility. And that's why you're doing all these wonderful courses. So where can people learn more about your courses? Where can they learn more about you? So we can, um, the, the website is www.fertilityce.com. And then your handle, Je uh, Dr. Jessica? I'm at the fertility ND on Instagram. And I'm on Instagram at Nora.pope, P-O-P-E. And our company name is fertility.ce on Instagram. And we are going to be doing more courses. And, you know, we got a lot of feedback from our, you know, professional students who took the course. And a lot of them said, let's, let's learn more about the pill. Mm -hmm. And that's definitely up there. And um, again, there's a lot of interest. So. Mm -hmm. And more of an integrative approach. So how can we, uh, you know, collaborate as a fertility community, uh, medical doctors, NDs, acupuncturists, work together to help to restore women's hormones, right? Because we restore women's hormones, we have happier women mm -hmm. and we have a better society at large. So <laughs> that's our mission. Our big mission is, you know, healthy people. Yeah. I love that. Okay. And then really quickly, last question, what keeps you both inspired in naturopathic medicine? Oh man, I, I, I to, to teach, I, you know, I gotta I, say, okay. Yeah. Her, her clinic, the phone is ringing off the hook. So I think the positive feedback she's getting from her patients, she's too modest, but I'm not, I don't care. No, Dr. <laughs> Jessica is amazing. She runs the Lake Lakeside Natural Health Center. Thank you. Lakeside Natural Health Center in Mississauga, Ontario 
phone, try and squeeze an appointment with her, you no, know, because she does good work. So that's, I think that's her testament. Now, now schmooze me, me. What about, what's so good about me? Nora is just, she's, <laughs> first, she's like a walking hormone encyclopedia. But, you know, I, I think, you know, cycle charting is just so elegant and it's, it's free. It's like you're, you're observing your own body and we're so caught up in this tech world and it's great for so many things, but we're losing connection with our own bodies. And so Nora being a body literacy expert has so much to say. She's got so much passion and she's been teaching um, for years. And, and so we want to keep doing this work as long mm -hmm. as we can and help support other healthcare providers to really feel confident in this because you, you can restore fertility in your patients. We can get rid of this silly diagnosis of unexplained infertility mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if we're doing this right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well said. I love that. Well, and we can save lives with progesterone. Woohoo! Yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you both so much for what you're doing and advocating for. Um, like you said, this is a very sustainable and eco-friendly, you know, way to go about um, supporting our bodies. So thank you both so much. This has been great. My pleasure. Thanks thank for having us. Thank you so us. much for having us. Bye, Dr. Kirsten. <laughs> Bye. Have a good day. And thank you all for listening and watching. Please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to help keep the inspiration going. As always, be well and stay inspired.